Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Friday, May 28th. Well, just ahead, Yaxt jacks up its sales and overlooks accounting problems on the shoulders of artificial intelligence. And doubling down on leftovers during COVID served one retailer well. And the sales of manufactured housing is booming. We'll drill down into the leader in that field, Skyline Champion. It's a really interesting story. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And you can listen to our Drill Down podcast in any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, and now Pandora. That happened. Hit that subscribe button and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us Connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. Canuck? Canadians? Yeah. Really? <laughs> they can listen too. Why not? Everyone can listen. You just have to have a Spotify account or iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora. Okay, I'm done. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. We are drilling down. We explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. And joining me, of course, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, three most important stories in business. Go. All right, here they are. Number one, let's start with today's economic news. President Biden unveiling his $6 trillion federal spending blueprint. And as we've mentioned before, this budget proposal from President Biden has big increases in spending on infrastructure, public health, and education, along with those tax increases on corporations and the ultra-wealthy. And at the same time, today we learned consumer spending rose slightly in April as Americans, Americans extended that spending binge we've also been talking about. And on a separate report from the Federal Reserve, says that consumer prices jumped 3.6% in April. Now, that's the fastest pace in 13 years. And, of course, we've been hearing a ton of inflation concerns from investors over the past couple months. So definitely some Wait, are those the three most important stories? That is one story rolled into one, as I mentioned at the top. Oh, that's three stories rolled into one. Got it. <laughs> well, what else? All right, number two, hackers... Hackers linked to that solar winds are back. Microsoft says the Russia-backed hackers launched another phishing attack. The company says that the hackers targeted 3,000 email accounts belonging to employees at 150 organizations, something we'll talk to Zscaler CEO about in the coming weeks. That guy's booked. That's good news. He is about to be. And the third most important business story of the day, let's not forget about the power of the meme. Wall Street bets on Reddit loves AMC, as we all know, and retail trades are still piling into AMC, at least in part to force losses on hedge funds that have bet against it. AMC shares soared 35% Thursday, putting its year-to-date gains at over 1,200%. And today, AMC shares did fall just slightly. Now, investors betting against the movie theater chain have marked roughly $1.3 billion in losses. Now, that's according to financial analytics firm S3 Partners. Beyond Meat has also joined that Wall Street Bets party rallying 12% on Thursday after appearing on the Reddit top 20 mentions list in the last couple of weeks. Well, I know the folks at AMC are listening to the podcast. Did I tell Great. you that? 
No, they are. No. Uh, the AMC Hi. guys Hi, listen to podcasts. They ought to come on and tell their story here, but uh, it is an interesting one. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't love the return of the movie business? Yeah, I well, I got to do a little personal mention. We did one of those things where you rented out the whole theater for a hundred bucks. Yeah. And it was so fun. It was so fun to do. Anyway. Uh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Hewlett Packard, my old favorite. Hewlett Packard. HPQ shares fell over 9% today, but they've gained almost 95% in a year. What's going on with HPQ? Well, as you may have heard, a lot of us were working from home last year. As you may I'm have experienced, in my closet a lot of us as we speak. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of people uh, experienced, uh, well, that, you know, that meant a lot of new gear for a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. PC, big monitors galore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those, I'm one of those galore people, but why I do you really say galore? galore is. I don't know. I don't know what that means. It sounded good. I like PCs, the name. Big monitors and galore. Sure. But, uh, well, I'll have some other definitions in a minute, but the sale of PCs and monitors was a great business last year for HP and for that matter, Dell. Mm-hmm. Those are the number two and three PC manufacturers both reporting earnings uh, yesterday. But the concern is that the pandemic buying is kaput. And to make matters worse, the supply shortage and critical components like central processing units, semiconductors, CPUs, will make it impossible for HP to meet what little demand is left. And it's not just CPUs, it's panels, the LED panels and monitor screens. It's ICs, integrated circuits, which are chips. Uh, PS, power supply. The real question is, can this company get through the uh, supply constraints to sell everything customers are still demanding? And especially if they're not demanding as much, what does it mean for these guys? It seems that the answer is it's not really good. Here's this chief financial officer, Marie Myers. We do expect that revenue will be driven uh, more by available supply than demand. And there are increasing margin headwinds versus the first half. With all that said, as Enrique said right at the, uh, the onset of the call, we are guiding for double-digit operating profit and EPS growth in Q3. And, and frankly, you know, we believe that this is a prudent guide in the context of the current environment. Obviously, if we can do better, we always will. So just not great stuff for these guys. They're, they're trying to entice people into the stock by saying they're going to buy back shares or something or give dividends. But really, supply constraints are really holding them back. Is it just me or she, it sounded like that was a word salad? <laughs> it just sounded um, very, very word salady. Yeah, I think you got to read between the lines here. What they were really yeah. saying, again, yeah. is that, that the demand, that sales are going to be dictated by how much stuff they can get, not how much stuff people want. Corey, what's your next drill down? Ollie's Bargain Basement. You know this company? Uh, I've never heard of Ollie's, um, but it does trade under OLLI. Shares gained 7% today, but they've lost around a 1% over the past 12 months. What is Ollie's bargain basement? What's the story here? Well, they sell leftover stuff. They they get excess okay. inventory from companies that can't sell stuff. Mm. They put it into these uh, kind of cheap stores where they promise a great deal on whatever's in it. And shoppers go in and pick up whatever they can find, not knowing really what they're going to get. Um, it was thought that it was going to be a really tough time for this kind of company because what we're hearing is that 
you know, we just heard from HP, right? It's the supply of anything is hard to get right now. So oversupply isn't a thing. We were hearing that, uh, Isaac, from retailers all week mm-hmm. long where they were saying that the sale racks were kind of empty. They weren't having to take markdowns. Uh, City Trends told us they just sell through everything so they don't have to have anything on a sale rack. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not good news for companies like Ollie's, which is selling leftover stuff. I mean, it seems like a good business to be in, theoretically, uh, during a pandemic. What do they sell? Um, I, you name it. It's 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 leftover inventory from all kinds of companies, but it's all okay. stuff really at the low end. Uh, their stores are kind of uh, tend to be a little more focused in the south and in the east uh, than out here in California, where you and I both are. But uh-huh. they reported uh, they didn't report any kind of supply constraints. Um, their revenues of, of four hundred fifty three million dollars up thirty percent. Uh, same store sales up nineteen percent. Uh, profits, operating profits, up 66%. So think of that. Revenue's up 30%, but profits up 66% to $71 million. That says to me that they just, not only does their model work, which is to say the more they sell, the even more they make, but it also shows me they didn't have to cut price too much. And these weren't easy comps. Last year, unlike a lot of retailers, Ollie's didn't close stores. From the onset of COVID last year, their stores remained open. And even a year ago, they had record sales and profits. Uh, back then, they had comp store sales growth of 43% in the second quarter of 2020. So this is a, a huge quarter on the backs of another a huge quarter, you know, strong on top of strong. But uh, the good, cheap stuff that they sell, they were able to find a lot more good, cheap stuff. Here's CEO John Swigert. I know there's been a rumbling out there that there's a, there's a tightness of closeouts, there's a lack of availability. Uh, I can tell you from our perspective, at least from Ollie's world, uh, that's the furthest from the truth. Um, our buyers are having no issue in any category other than what I mentioned in the past, which was the chlorine tablets. Uh, everything else is flowing very, very well. Um, and we're seeing uh, an abundance of availability out there. From our perspective, the merchants are being very, very selective in what they're taking now because th- there is so much out there. But I would tell you, we, we, we feel very good where we're positioned. And I think the disruption in the marketplace is going to continue to add more and more opportunities for us as we continue to go forward. So disruption in the marketplace seems to be code for other companies going out of business and just dumping their stuff on us. So if you want to get your your Beanie Babies or a $7.99 Whammo Slip and Slide or the Double Slip and Slide for $14.99. Yes. I'm looking at the flyer from their Amarillo, Texas store. Their Amarillo, Texas store is the closest one to me here in San Francisco, if that tells you anything. Um, and that's the, you know, Rockstar Drinks. You can get a 24-pack for $14.99. Um, that's the kind of stuff that they're finding from other wow. retailers who are going sneakers up. Uh, that's been a good environment for Ollie's. Uh, uh, discount. I can't. I wish they had a store here in LA. I'd check it out. Well, you never I, know. I, I call it Ollie, Ollie's Bargain Basement. Yes, get involved. Who doesn't like a good bargain? Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Yext. Yext, Y E X T shares gained 17% today, but they've lost 5% over the past year. What's going on with Yext? Well, Yext likes to call itself an AI search company. I just call it a directory. Um, and they used to provide these directory information to third-party websites. Isaac, do you remember phone books? Um, could you use the phrase in a sentence? Yeah. Do you remember phone books? It's a sentence. All right. Well, well, these guys were like the data from a phone book, right? They'd feed the phone book information to a third-party website 
uh, and they'd some, oh, quite often just have the companies enter their own data and then sell it to these third-party websites. But now they have a new business they call Answers. And now they say it's AI-powered. Whatever. But uh, Answers, you know, they pr it promised to understand natural language queries so that when people to ask questions about a business online, they would get a direct answer, not a link. And during COVID, they offered this product out to businesses for free for a little while. And it turns out that that strategy worked. It drove a lot of new business to Yex as they saw lasting improvement, as we could see from the quarter they just announced. It sent the stock flying, as you mentioned uh, today, Isaac. But the company had $1.8 billion enterprise value today. Uh, let me give you some stats from today's quarter. Customer count up 22% year over year to 2,500 customers. Uh, first quarter revenues up 8% to $92 million. Unearned revenues, that's money customers have paid for services that Yext has yet to deliver, that's up 22% in year over year to $187 million. And in a business where cash burn has been a worry, they increased their cash and cash equivalents to $272 million. Maybe importantly, cash flow was positive. Now it's usually positive in the first quarter for these guys as it has been for the last two years, but $14 million in, in, in free cash flow, that's better than it's been in quite a while. CEO Howard Lerman says this is just the beginning. He also talked about new technologies that, that he says is going to help Yext corporate customers mine the data that they already have on their website, but to give customers information they're looking for. Imagine, Isaac, can you imagine? Imagine you're a company, imagine you're a company, and you've got a pissed off customer. So the customer goes online and they go to your like complaint box or your support box, and they start typing out a ticket of, I can't find the information about whatever, whatever. Well, the Yex software promises to head off those complaints, mining data in the website, and telling that user as they're typing the support complaint where the answer is from the site. Here's that CEO, Lehrman, explaining how it works. Every company needs to offer support, and every company, we believe, ought to be offering support answers. We're, we're really excited about this application. And just one more point, the technology that made it possible for us to be able to do this is our extractive Q&A, which we launched in, uh, in the quarter. And extractive Q&A essentially is our, it's a new algorithm. What it does is it can take unstructured text and deliver an answer from unstructured text. And here's an example. If you go to help.yex.com, you can see our, our own support site there using our own support answers. And you can type in a query like, how often does Yex suppress duplicates? And you'll see us pull up once a month. It's kind of like a featured snippet in Google. So that data once a month is not sitting in Yext in the knowledge graph in a structured way. We're sucking that out of the answer, sucking that out of a support article, which is in the knowledge graph, and showing the user where we think the answer is and answering the question, even though the data was not structured in the first place. This is a huge breakthrough because most of the answers in support are living in the knowledge base, which are long articles. That, that companies publish to their help sites. And we think that, you know, with Yext, you can one click and bam, be able to add a, a support answers box to the top, deflect calls, increase customer satisfaction, give users the, the answer that they want. So interesting technology. I'm, I, I can't say whether it works or not. I, before we move on, just really quickly, I want to make note of a really negative thing about Yext. In the company's 10K filing, they mentioned that they have a material weakness in their ability to uh, understand sales commissions. That's an accounting problem that has not been fixed. 
and it's one to keep an eye on. All right, our guest, Kevin Silverman of CIO of uh, Sterling Partners Equity Advisors, is going to help us drill down on a manufactured housing company, Skyline Champion. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. Our guest, Kevin Silverman, joins us right now. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Sterling Partners Equity Advisors in Chicago. And we're going to drill down into Skyline Champion, another Midwestern firm. Uh, Kevin, glad to have you join us. Uh, what is Thank Sterling you, Partners, I should say, first? Uh, Sterling Partners is a 30-year middle market private equity firm in Chicago, a very successful firm. And a handful of years ago, the partners decided to diversify across the efficient frontier and bring in some crazy public equity guys. And so we, uh, we married private equity, public equity. We can touch more active management opportunities on the efficient frontier. And yet our core competencies in legal and IT and all that are are behind the scenes. Uh, Sterling has about a billion five in private equity assets, and we join them as uh, their partners in crime in the uh, equity business. And right, well, uh, it's as, been a good marriage. As one crazy public equity guy to another, uh, Skyline Champion is just a fascinating company. This is the uh, largest uh, um, maker of manufactured homes, at least publicly traded ma- maker of manufactured homes, if you exclude, exclude Clayton, which is owned yep. by uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. Correct. Right. So why this company? What is going on that's so interesting with Skyline Champion? Tell us how they make money. Well, I'll tell you, they make money uh, by being a low-cost producer. And we like themes on every name. We've, we've actually owned this name about five years. And if you recall, Corey, when we got out of 08, 09, the housing industry took a long time to recover. A lot of people had been hurt, a lot of banks. And so there was this long healing process and millennials simply weren't attracted to homes the way prior generations had been. So there was this long dead period of homes with starts below historical levels, et cetera. So back in 2018, Champion and Skyline formed up two manufactured guys. They brought economies of scale to manufactured housing. Which they were has already a the, a, they were the second and third largest uh, already yes. at that point. So this was really putting together two of the biggest companies out there anyway yes, in the space. Yes, yes. And, uh, and what they got that Clayton does not have is low cost capital. So um, they have stock. Uh, the manufactured housing sector is still pretty small compared to the traditional. And what's interesting to me, Corey, is that homes are still made like they made homes in the Middle Ages. Groups of craftsmen move from lot to lot. If they made cars that way, guys came to your garage and built a car, they would also be expensive. So manufactured housing is really factory-built housing in a modular sense. They bring all the rooms to the site, bolt them together, and it allows them to just do a better job in bringing increasingly a shortage of craftsmen 
to the job site by having it in the factory. And they're targeting lower price points to make homes a little more affordable. So how do they make money? Uh, they're making homes cheaper than other people uh, with a sustainable approach, and they're targeting prices of homes that are at the end where millennials can find them more affordable. And uh, we think they're going to grow for a long time while still at a price that even a value guy can find attractive. So uh, is this is manufactured home just a fancy word for mobile home? No, is the short answer, but Come they on. are fighting they are fighting that perception. So in the old days manufactured homes was a mobile home and if you were fortunate enough you could maybe get a double wide mobile home and then that but these are not like that. These are very high-end, high-end fixtures, high-end finishes. They just do them in a factory because everyone that used to be really a high-end craftsman, now instead, those younger kids went to college. Now they're lawyers. So we're running out of people who can do the work that's needed in these high-end homes. And by putting them into a factory, think about it, it's really about the efficiency of labor. It's not much different than what Middleby does when they bring a highly productive oven into a restaurant. Restaurant. The cooks can be more productive. Here, the craftsmen can be more productive. And it's ripe for the evolution to a, a better model in, in terms of that. And it's running right into affordability issues with the new generation of millennials. So that's why we feel so strong about the uh, long term with Champion. I think one Skyline of the interesting Champion. things is, uh, uh, yeah, Skyline Champion, of course. I think that one of the interesting things about this company is, uh, again, from the macro view, and I do want to get to the micro view, but from the macro view, what you saw in the housing boom of, you know, call it 06, 07, 08, or really, really 05, 06, 07, um, was because capital was so readily available, people were able to spend uh, spend up, often beyond their moon, their means, and stick-built homes, as you described, these, these homes built by craftsmen on a site, uh, they also own a site-built, um, had their day. But manufactured housing has sort of steadily recovered now that that's a, a different option and that stick-built homes are not so attractive at the lower price points. Well, you see what's happening. They're even changing the, the nomenclature. So stick-built as a competitor to manufactured or mobile homes, these are fighting back with labels. So manufactured homes is no longer viewed, I don't think, as a lower end home. The, these guys can make half a million dollar homes if you want that and they'll build to order. They're just doing it more effectively. So your half a million dollar home, if it were built on site, might've cost 600,000. They're still saving you money, but their real target is millennials, uh, who uh, need a home, they're in their nesting phase. I think childhood took longer because longevity is increasing. So people spent a little more time before they got to the point where they wanted to start a family. I, I think that's all un ungluing now uh, a bit, Corey. Also, the fear of the missing numbers out. Show that. The numbers show that. I mean, let me give you some numbers in terms of this company. Why this company? They're, they just put up a quarter, 48% growth in sales. Yeah. They just increased their backlog nearly 600%. Their average selling price, they're at the low end, but they rose 12%, 67,000 in a world where the average selling price, the median is in the 300s, Corey. So this is really an attractive option for people. And while the stock is a little expensive, again, I've owned this for five years, we bought it a lot cheaper. The reason we're staying with it right now is 
the cost of capital when they buy somebody, they've got an enterprise value to EBITDA 20 times. That seems expensive. Flip it over, 5% cost of capital, uh, and they can use that as currency. And if you look at them, they're going to do an acquisition about once a year, maybe more, while they're gaining share in the lower end of the price points of home. So it seems compelling. Uh, clean balance sheet. They've got nearly five Agreed. bucks a share in cash. A lot of Almost cash, not no a lot debt. of debt. You'd expect a company like this to be more levered than it is. Well, that is true. That's one of the attractive elements here. I think they've really made a point to to build to order. They do buy land ahead, so they, they're not going to get tricked by not having enough land, but they don't build homes out ahead too far. You know what's hard to get these days? Land. Houses. Let me add to that. Uh, uh, gr- the great downtown Josh Brown, shout out to Josh Brown and Reynolds Wealth Management, uh, had this really interesting uh, social media post this week where he said he knew of a guy who couldn't finish a house project because he'd been waiting three weeks for a hinge. I mean, that yeah. is the state of affairs right now, not just in in housing, but in housing and semiconductors and automobiles, you name it. It's just supply chains are so screwed up right now that while we see that reflected in the um, uh, the Sky, you know, the, in the Sterling uh, Champion, or sorry, the Skyline Champion um, uh, uh, increase in price, it strikes me that it's also going to impact their ability to make the stuff that they can sell. And that's a very good point, and it actually, I think, benefits them because one of the things about the housing business is even though these guys are small. And that means $2 billion in value. It's still a lot of mom and pops, a lot of dads and brothers building homes. And those guys are getting out of the business because of the reasons you're talking about. They can't get the capital. Oh, they can't do the marketing. They can't get the lumber. So the larger firms with public stock, they have their own currency. So even if the bank doesn't loan them money for lumber, these guys can go raise stock uh, you know, raise money in the stock market. Not that they're doing that, but that capability, I think, allows them to give everyone more confidence in their system. And I guess if you're a, a lumber provider, who are you going to provide capital to? You're going to provide capital to, uh, you know, uh, John and Joe making a house down the street who've been buying uh, lumber from the yard for years, or are you just going to sell it straight to the guys who can do the manufactured homes and buy it in size? I think so. I think that's their advantage in a period of uh, shortages in raw materials for sure. Now, what it seems to me that they are very focused in the southeast. Uh, they've got manufacturing all over the country, but they're they're they seem to be focused in the southeast specifically with their um, uh, their retail uh, operations. And in, yes, in the Texas, they've got seven states, 21 locations, but they are very heavy in Florida and Texas. Texas. And again, when you see this COVID, luck of the draw sometimes, uh, there's a lot of interest in moving to Texas and Florida, but this has been going on for a long time in the sense of uh, migration to South and West, and they've been playing that for a long time. Uh, and they're in the right way of current trends, but it's been that way for a while. Well, um, I, I, again, I like to focus on the micro, but and not the macro so much, but it seems to me that when you talk housing, you can't not talk about interest rates and government policies. What, what's happening right now, particularly with the Biden administration in terms of focus on housing and focus on lending? Are they tightening lending standards? Are they trying to increase the ability of, 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 of uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae to lend to lower income uh, lenders? 
You know, Freddie Mac and Fannie had their issues back in 09, so there was that effort to privatize those firms. I think that's been reversed out. They also, at the peak, had a lot more leverage. I think Freddie and Fannie were 30 to 1 or 35 to 1, and they're not so bad now. Um, The bigger issue to me, Corey, is all this money that's going in the stock market I think comes back into the housing market when the stock owners are going to gift that money to their kids to buy homes. And I think that's a natural tendency. Um, The cycle, the life cycle is right. And so I think the fear of missing out, you're at that time of life when you want to start nesting, home prices are going up, you're fearing you're going to miss out. So I think you're seeing a lot of that pent up demand and angst that you might miss out. Uh, kicking in right now. These guys are putting up amazing numbers and the whole industry is. Um, But one of the things to remember about housing too, Corey, is it really is a commodity. So it's hard to stand out. That's why I point out a few of these little things. These guys have advantages in cost structure because they're manufactured. So they, if, if housing demand falls by 50%, the low cost guys will still stay full. That's what I like about these guys. Low cost means you're a little safer if things go bad because people will gravitate to low cost. And they're also small enough where each new accretive acquisition they do with their low cost capital is going to help the growth rate. And again, as a, as a value investor, most guys don't look at the growth that comes from acquisitions. But when you have low cost capital, you can almost be certain that they're going to continue to do those accretive deals and the mom and pops are their natural sellers. So it's, uh, I, I see that path very clearly. Wait, but uh, has that historically been the case that when the economy pulls back, that there's, it seems to me that the low end is usually what hurts, gets hurt the most, not the high end. Well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but at this moment in time, the affordability of homes has rarely been this bad in terms of the average cost being 350000 the average income being yeah. 50000 So it might be different this time only because the need to live in a house, like you don't have an option. No one wants to live outside. And so it's one of those things where need will drive drive you to, to, to buy a home. And if you're a little strapped for cash, I think they're advantaged. Um, in a in a recession this time around, I think just like private label wins share in the supermarket in recessions, these lower cost homes, I think, because their needs, not wants, will win um, in the uh, environment that we have ahead. And I think the population of millennials, just that big force of people will swamp uh, any little yeah. recessionary issues we have. So Mark, uh, Mark Yost, the CEO of this company, uh, has been complaining for some time. I'm not saying he's a whiner because he looks like he's a really big guy. He could probably kick my butt. But he's a, he has been complaining for a long time about the unemployment, the expanded unemployment benefits that have been offered during COVID. I say a long time, 18 yeah. months. Uh, he's been complaining about that, saying that we can't get the workers we need because they're happy. Um, he hasn't said this. I'm paraphrasing. But they're happy sitting at home. They don't have a desire or need to work because they're going to get such great, having such a great time on unemployment. Um when I hear that, I hear, well, geez, if you offered them a little more money, they'd probably come to work. Uh, but nonetheless, he suggested that he had a problem getting the labor that he wanted. Well, now we hear that across the economy, whether it's happening at McDonald's, whether it's happening uh, in computer manufacturing, whether it's happening at YMCA Camp Corey in upstate New York, which I strongly encourage young people should be applying to be counselors there because we need some help. I'm on the board. Uh, we've got some issues. Um, not a lot. Camp's going to be great this year. But we're going to use a few more counselors. How but did it get point, named after you, Corey? 
A uh, hundred years ago, they named this camp after me. It's a hundred year anniversary of Camp Corey. I couldn't be more proud. But uh, Very good. Uh, most of that sentence is true. Uh, but it is true that across our economy, um, it's just hard to hire right now. Is yes. that a hindrance for this business? You know, it looks like it would be, right? But secretly, it isn't because it prepares everyone for price increases. So we've got to raise prices so we can hire workers back and we need to pay them more. That's all good, 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 good. But what ends up happening is when your house price, when your house prices go up, which theirs were up 11%, I right. can tell you that labor is not more than 30% of the pricing. And so if labor goes up and you raise your prices to cover that, even by the same percentage, your margins are going up. And that's an important element here. I do think as prices go up, their margins will expand. Uh, well, that's certainly that's been the be case so for far. Shareholders. Uh, mm-hmm. It also, one of their secret sauces seems to be their transportation business that uh, in that merger of those two companies, uh, Skyline Champion, that I think Skyline was the ones that came to the table with an actual trans, uh, logistics uh, program, moving those, those modular homes, those mobile homes, those manufactured homes on the highways of this country is yeah. a specialty skill that this company has. Well, I think that's a, you know, it's a competitive advantage. It's a barrier to entry. You've got a lot of big competitors who don't have the systems, trade secrets, and techniques that these guys have to deliver low-cost homes. So um, again, that's to me is is just one of the advantages. And they put this together at a time when no one was paying attention because in 2016, 17, and 18, you couldn't give away a housing company. And these guys were uh, fixated and focused on the future that we're in. And we got there faster than anyone expected. But I do think low-cost production ends up winning in every industry eventually. Um, As I said, you know, building a car in your garage, if you ever try it, it's expensive. Wide load ahead. Indeed. Kevin Silverman, thank you very much from Sterling Partners, Sterling Partners Equity Advisors in Chicago. Uh, Kevin, how do we follow uh, the thoughts uh, from you and from Sterling Partners Equity Advisors? Uh, The best way is LinkedIn, Sterling Partners Equity Advisors, Sterling Partners, we both have really nice sites, and uh, I think you can see all you would want to see there at those locations. All right, Kevin, thank you very much, and have a great week, and we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Corey. Yeah. All right, well, up next in the drill down the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, I've been going through U.S. Census data. You can be worried. But here's the subject, shipments of new manufactured homes. As of March, the U.S. Census Bureau said we were a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 110,000 homes a year. That's the highest rate in 15 years. But let's go back to the 1970s for the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. If today's annual rate is 110,000, if that's really high, what was the annual rate in March of 1972, 50 years ago? We'll have that number when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Pandora. Hit that subscribe button and follow us to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net.
Okay, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. If today's annual rate of 110,000 houses, uh, manufactured houses is high, well, that rate in March of 1972, 50 years ago, Isaac, new manufacturers' homes were being made at an annual rate of 578,000 homes a year. It's about five times, more than five times where we are right now. Um, some bulls in the, who are looking at this market say if the economy could uh, has got all of these aging modular homes that are now 50 years old, there's actually room for them to be replaced by new modular homes. And then that might be yet another uh, reason why this business is going to do well in the future. Where do they go, though? Just dump them in the ocean? Sure. Landfill. <laughs> oh, my is that God. Bad? <laughs> they need to be recycled. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, that was a very ESG of me. Yes, they should definitely be recycled. But in the meantime, some people might want some newer houses to live in that are at an affordable price. And some of these these, uh, these manufactured homes might offer just that. Thank you, all of you, for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The show is edited by Ben Wilson. Maggie Renshaw, our senior producer. Alicia Alban, our chief of staff. Samantha Fennell, our head of sales. Our theme song. Moving Average is by Structural Dynamics. Thanks to Yorn and the fantastic crew at Shack 15. Uh, to my friends Michael and Tabitha, you are in our prayers today. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Three, two, one.